Hello, and welcome back. I'm Steve Murphy, a trust and estates attorney with McGuire Woods LLP. And this, again, is Once Removed, my podcast on estate planning and trusts and property and taxes and family and legacy and everything else on my clients' minds and everything else on my mind from time to time. I've already covered in a few other episodes the transfer tax system of estate tax and gift tax and GST tax. But there's a separate tax regime we want to be mindful of in estate planning, and that's the income tax. And the income tax is important for two reasons. First, the transfer tax exemptions are so high that not many people have to really worry about transfer tax. As you know from previous episodes, that exemption as of 2023 is $12.92 million per person. So again, not many people have to really worry about transfer tax. And because transfer tax is less of a concern, many clients are focused on other ways to avoid or minimize tax, such as, such as income tax. And second, income tax is a way to save clients and individuals' assets now. If you save transfer tax, then that's often saving transfer tax in the future, such as at someone's death. But if you're saving income tax, that's a way to save uh, assets now on a real ongoing basis. So clients are especially interested in learning ways to uh, manage and minimize income tax. When we talk about trusts, we have to remember that an irrevocable trust is a separate taxpayer for income tax purposes. That trust files its own separate income tax return. That's actually called a Form 1041, as opposed to the individual return, which is a Form 1041. Now, I'm talking about irrevocable trusts. There's a separate type of trust called a irrevocable grantor trust that has different uh, tax filing requirements. We're going to talk about that in a later episode. But here we're talking about almost the run-of-the-mill irrevocable trust maybe set up by uh, grandma for the benefit of her children and descendants. That trust will file its own separate income tax return. Now, that trust will have to pay income tax on income that is earned by the trust assets. And that's not surprising. If you have income, then someone's gotta pay the income tax. And in this case, the trust has to pay that income tax. But what's important to keep in mind for irrevocable trusts is the marginal tax rates. So you may know that as of 2023, uh, individuals filing a joint return reach the highest marginal tax rate at 30, of 37% at a really high number at $693,750. For an unmarried person filing individually, they reach the highest marginal tax rate at $578,125. That's obviously a lot of income before you reach that highest marginal rate. And around those rates is when you would start paying capital gains at 20% rather than 15%. And at those high marginal rates, you'd also pay the net investment income tax of 3.8%. Now let's look at how trusts are taxed. Trusts reach the highest marginal tax rate as of 2023 at $14,450. That's not a typo, that's not a mistake. They reach the highest marginal rate at $14,450. After reaching that amount of income, they would pay the highest marginal rate for uh, income, 37%, and then they would also pay 20% for capital gains and also that net investment income tax. Well, why is that? Well, I think the trust reached that highest marginal rate so early because there was a perceived abuse years ago 
where someone could take their income and almost spread it out among all these different taxpayers, all these different trusts, and have the advantage of walking through these low marginal rates for every one of those trusts. So the tax code uh, has this very specific provision where trusts reach the highest marginal rate very early on. So tax, so trusts are often going to pay a higher marginal rate for income tax purposes. Well, there's a second important principle about trusts, which is that a trust normally has to pay its own income tax. However, if a trust makes a distribution to a beneficiary, then based on some very complicated rules, that income is deemed to have passed out to the beneficiary and then the beneficiary pays the income tax on his or her own income tax return, and the trust does not. Well, if you're thinking about these comparisons between marginal rates, it might be that assets or income within the trust would have to pay a high marginal rate. But if that income is distributed out to a beneficiary who uh, makes less income, then that beneficiary is going to pay income tax at a lower marginal rate. So. Maybe here, here are two important points that come out of that. Uh, first, a trust over time maybe can save income tax for all concerned by distributing income out of the trust to the individuals. On the one hand, that saves income tax for all concerned. But on, the other, on the other hand, that might set up a problem. Remember on other episodes, we've, we've talked about the benefits of a trust. We've talked about benefits of a trust providing asset management to beneficiaries. We talked about trust providing asset protection to beneficiaries and maybe even some estate tax savings. Well, if income is passing out to beneficiaries year over year, then those assets pass to that beneficiary, he or she can do whatever he or she wants with those funds. Meanwhile, if they're in the trust, maybe it pays tax at a higher tax rate, but it has those other benefits. So you want to be thoughtful about making those kinds of distributions. The other takeaway about this is that this, il this illustrates one of the actual costs of an irrevocable trust. You can think about the benefits column of a trust, of asset management, asset protection, maybe estate tax savings. Well, here's a cost. There is the cost of filing separate income tax return every year, and then there's also that cost of additional um, income tax, again, based on various, various other factors. So, well, what's the big takeaway? I think the big takeaway here is that you have to think about your own estate plan and whether these types of benefits of an irrevocable trust justify the costs. So as you think about the advantages, again, think about asset management, asset protection, and estate tax savings. To what extent are those real advantages for you that you would care about? And then secondly, think about these costs, ongoing cost of preparing a separate income tax return every year, ongoing cost of maybe some additional income tax liability, but then almost in the middle column, think about flexibility, because what you can do is build the trust so that the trustee has flexibility to manage that income tax cost, maybe by passing income out to beneficiaries or, or maybe by uh, managing the income tax within the trust. Now, I'll make one further comment. We've been talking a lot about income, and I'm really talking about traditional forms of income. Uh, like interest and dividends and the like. There's a separate class of, of income, um, income called capital gains. And typically, capital gains is trapped within the trust and has to pay income tax at the trust's high, high marginal rate. There maybe are some ways to pass out capital gains to beneficiaries, but we're mostly talking here about, uh, about traditional forms of income. So again, as you think about your own estate plan, uh, 
maybe focus on those advantages, those costs, and then maybe most importantly, and as we often do here at Once Removed, think about how can we build in flexibility to make sure your intent is carried out in the future. I'm Steve Murphy, and this has been Once Removed, a podcast on thoughtful estate planning. Once again, thanks for listening.